Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac, located at 1600 South Main Street. Our congregation has had the privilege of serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10.30 or every Thursday night at 6.30. St. Peter's serves Jesus' little lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran elementary school and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and his word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. May God bless you as together we continue building on the rock. Good evening and welcome to God's house here at St. Peter's Lutheran Church. As the season of Epiphany draws to its close, today is the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, and then next week will be the Feast of the Transfiguration. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to the Lord. Holy God, gracious Father, I am sinful by nature and have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and forever. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sins with his innocent suffering and death. Trusting in him, I pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, in mercy, receive the prayers of your people. Grant them the wisdom to know the things that please you, and the grace and power always to accomplish them. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. David's sin and cover-up illustrates the danger of unrepentant sin. It is the opposite of a holy life. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Springtime arrived, the time when kings go out to war. David sent Joab out with his officers and with all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David had gotten up from his couch and was walking around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very good-looking. David sent to inquire about the woman, and he was told, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to bring her. She came to him, and he lay down with her. She had been purifying herself from her ceremonial uncleanness. She then returned to her house. The woman became pregnant, so she sent a message and told David, 
I am pregnant. David sent a message to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to me. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and Uriah came to him. David asked how Joab and the troops were doing, and how the war effort was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. When Uriah went out from the palace, the king sent a gift to him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the servants of his master. He did not go down to his own house. David was informed, Uriah has not gone down to his house. So David said to Uriah, haven't you come a long distance? Why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are living in shelters. And my master Joab and the servants of my master are camped on the bare ground in the open countryside. Should I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie down with my wife? By your life, as surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also. Tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. David summoned him, and Uriah ate as his guest. And David got him drunk. But in the evening he went down and slept on his mat where the servants of his master were. He did not go down to his own house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it in the hands of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Station Uriah opposite the fiercest fighting. Then withdraw from behind him so that he will be struck down and die. So when Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that the enemy's strongest warriors were. The men of the city came out and fought against Joab, and some of the troops of David fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. The wife of Uriah the Hittite heard that her husband was dead, so she mourned for her husband. When her mourning was complete, David sent for her and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. She gave birth to a son for him, but what David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christians desire to live for Christ. We seek to control our body in a way that is holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul wrote, Therefore beyond this, brothers, just as you received instruction from us about how you are to walk so as to please God, as indeed you are doing, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you do so even more. To be sure, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Indeed, this is God's will, that you be sanctified, namely that you keep yourselves away from sexual immorality. He wants each of you to learn to obtain a wife for yourself in a way that is holy and honorable, not in lustful passion like the heathen who do not know God. No one is to overstep and take advantage of his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we said previously and solemnly testified to it. For God did not call us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. Consequently, whoever rejects this is not rejecting a man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Concerning brotherly love, there is no need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God with the result that you love one another. In fact, you are doing so toward all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do this even more and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, 
and to work with your own hands, just as we instructed you. Do this so that you are conducting yourselves decently toward outsiders and are not lacking anything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a high bar Jesus sets. He calls us to be holy with our enemies, our spouses, and our God. The Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise, your accuser may bring you to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I tell you. You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, because it is God's throne, and not by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond this is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Pharisee, in Jesus' parable from Luke chapter 18, got it right. Keeping God's law is pretty easy. Why doesn't everyone do it? He did it. And he made sure everyone knew that he did it. There's a part of that parable that Jesus told. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. He was doing things for God. Oh, yeah. 
In his case, he skipped a couple of meals. He was generous with his money. 10%, that's nothing to sneeze at. He didn't cheat people out of their money. I mean, he didn't wait on the highway from Jerusalem to Jericho and fall upon people going back and forth and robbed them and left them for dead. He didn't do that. He didn't hold up a tax collecting booth and take a couple bags of denarius out of there and run away. He didn't do that. He didn't rob or cheat people out of their money. He didn't sleep around. He went to church. Pretty good guy. This was a guy who was leading a blameless life, a blameless public life. An investigator vetting him for public office would have, I guess it depends on how you look at it, had an easy time. There wasn't anything to dig up. Probably. This guy is clean as a whistle. He would have uh, maybe met a good pastor. No skeletons in his closet. This guy was leading a very decent public life. And he thought that God should be awfully happy about that. Like, really happy. The Pharisee, and, well, he was doing God a favor. I mean, how many other people could say what he was saying and really be telling the truth? Because he probably was telling the truth. These probably all were true things. And so, his good life, his holy life, his public blameless life, well, I mean, I guess God owed him. God owed him a debt for being such a good guy. Of course, it's easy to spot someone like this, someone who's clearly puffed up with themselves. I mean, every time I read this, this Pharisee and tax collector parable, I always wonder, who does this? Who is so bold as to stand up in front of church and to out loud brag about how awesome they are? No one does this. I mean, no one that I know, and no one that you know either. I hope. Clearly, this Pharisee was in love with himself and thought that God should feel the same. And if you pointed out any of the, the pride that this Pharisee was clearly exhibiting to the Pharisee, he might get upset, but he also might be actually shocked that you'd be calling him on it. Like, what's wrong? I'm doing good things. I want to be a good example to people. What's wrong with that? Well, Jesus called him on it. He called out this attitude of pride, clearly. The one who went home justified was not the Pharisee. He went home with his pride and all his goodness, but it availeth nothing before God. The wretched sinner, the tax collector, who beat his breast and cried out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He was the one who went home 
clean and free and right, with a clear conscience before God, justified and correct before God, precisely because he knew it wasn't him. That's the point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this portion of it anyway. Jesus is taking those who, like the Pharisee, think that they're doing it, that they're doing the good work that God had set them out to do and using it for their own salvation and exploding it, utterly annihilating their delusions of pride and calling them to repentance and true faith, not in themselves, but in Jesus and him alone. And so he is blunt. It's possible that that reading from Matthew 5 made you unsettled, perhaps, a little bit. And if it didn't, I don't know. Because it pretty much doesn't let anyone out of here alive. It pretty much calls all of our well, what we think of as passing the test on the floor and not operative. So we're like the Pharisee. We don't rob people, we don't cheat people, we don't sleep around. We don't make unnecessary oaths. Or maybe you do, maybe you have. There's some people you'd like to not be on this earth anymore, right? Maybe you don't know them personally, but you've had evil thoughts against others and thought that someone else was a fool, held grudges. Are there people in Fond du Lac you won't talk to? I don't know. It's uncomfortable. Because Jesus is precisely doing the work that he calls on all of us, preachers and parishioners alike, to do. To show ourselves just exactly how impossible it is to keep his law. Not the way we define it, not the way the culture defines good works or the laws or the rules that they think are operative, but his eternal good law. And it slays all of us right down to the marrow and the bone. And that's not fun to hear. Maybe that's not why I even came to church tonight. Some people think that you're supposed to come to church and the preacher is supposed to make you feel good. Well, yeah. I am. But not based on any kind of lie. And the biggest one of all is that I can make God happy. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Your flesh wants to believe it. Still. It's still trying to worm its way back into your heart and mind and convince you, oh, it's fine. You're good enough. Like, how good does God want you to be? Perfect? Come on. That's impossible. Exactly. It is impossible. And that's precisely why when there's no more wiggle room left, 
God kills us and brings us back to life. So good, we haven't cheated anyone out of their money. Good, we haven't fought over our siblings for an inheritance. Good, we haven't slept with Bathsheba. Great. But truthfully, we've sinned as much as we've had the opportunity, or at least as much as we thought we could get away with. So, okay, you're not royalty, so you haven't had the chance to screw up royally. Big deal. We sin as much as we think we can. You don't have the power to point at someone and have them. But you do have the power of the keyboard and the phone. The law says to us, imperfect failures, be perfect, think perfect, talk perfect all the time, which is impossible. So where does that leave us? You know where. Right at the foot of the cross. Dead. And then Jesus' blood drips down on you in holy baptism, in his holy word, in his holy supper, and brings you back completely to life. Completely. All the way. And then we're alive and we get to follow God's law. And not to do it grudgingly or to do it in a way that says, okay, here's the line, how close can I get? But to say, what is the very best way I can keep God's law without adding to it, but to do it in the fullest possible way? And not just when I'm old and I can't do all that bad stuff anymore, but when I'm young too. And when I'm old, not to be bitter about all the mistakes I made when I was young. Or to live in fear that maybe I wasn't good enough. Oh Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. And because of the blood of Christ, he doesn't. He doesn't remember the sins of your youth or of your middle age or of your golden years. All because of Christ. All because of Jesus and his blood shed for you on the cross. All because Jesus did everything on the Sermon on the Mount and he did it for you perfectly. And then he comes by and he sees you trying to keep that little fire going out in the cold, swirling snow. And it's not going very well. And you're trying to keep that fire going and it just keeps going out. And he says, Come over to my fire. And you follow him because he has to grab you and pick him up. I should say, you don't want to go. You want to stay by your pathetic, wheezy little fire that's not even staying burning anymore. And he grabs you and hauls you over to his nice, bright campfire. And he says, here, stay here. The warden comes by and he asks, is this your fire? And you can say, yes. Because it's a gift. A gift that is yours. So abandon your pathetic attempts to keep your own righteousness burning, as though that will keep you warm. Rather, you've been 
plunked down in front of Jesus' campfire, burning bright, never will go out. And you can say truthfully, because Jesus tells you to, that it's your fire, even though it's all his. The tax collector in that parable knew it. And by faith, that's why he went home justified. He knew where the fire was, where the light was, the light shining forth in the darkness. He knew his Savior and why he has all his sin taken away. And now he's filled with the joy to follow the Lord wherever he may go, to do hard things, to live decently and chaste in this corrupt, disgusting world, to lovingly reach out to those who have no friends, to take care of those who are difficult to take care of without begrudging them compassion and empathy. And because we have this confidence, because we are in the light of the Lord God himself, even when we are confronted by change after change after change, even though we've perhaps had some years of calm and peace and quiet, but now Jesus keeps throwing change after change at us, we know where we sit. Soaking in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ, who tells us with absolute confidence that everything is going to be okay. Dear friends, who sit in the light of Christ, no matter what I say here to you tonight, everything is going to be okay. In Jesus' name, amen. This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Alleluia. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10.30 or every Thursday night at 6.30. Our address is 1600 South Main Street. St. Peter's serves Jesus' Little Lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran Elementary School and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and his word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. We'll be back next week with another edition of Building on the Rock. Until then, God be with you.